Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is Neurostation, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is an interview with Integer32, Carol Nichols-Golding and Jake Golding. This episode is brought to you in part by Manning. They have a permanent 40% discount code for the podcast. This is good for every product Manning sells. You can use the code PODNEWRUST18, that'll be in the show notes, don't worry, to get that 40% off discount for anything on the show. I hope you enjoy getting some good Rust materials from Manning, including Rust in Motion, which you'll hear about shortly, and Rust in Action, which I may have an interview for sometime in 2019. The show is also sponsored by Parity Technologies. Parity is advancing the state of the art in decentralized technology, and they're using Rust to do it, leaning hard on its trifecta of safety, speed, and correctness. They're building cutting-edge tech in areas like WebAssembly and peer-to-peer networking. Two of the larger projects they're working on are Substrate, a framework for building blockchains, and Polkadot, a platform leveraging blockchain tech for scaling and interop in decentralized systems. And they're not just using Rust, they're hiring Rust developers. So if you'd like to work on any of these projects, check out their jobs at paritytech.io slash jobs. And now into the interview. Hi, Carol and Jake. Welcome to the show. Welcome back in Carol's case. For those of you who have been with the show for a long time or who have binge listened through to it, that is the thing I hear that people do. You'll have heard Carol about three years ago, I think. And you've never heard Jake's voice on this show, but some of you will not have heard either of those. So I figured I'd give Carol and Jake a minute to introduce themselves, and then we'll jump in and talk a bit about some of the things they've been up to in the Rust community over the last few years. Hi, Chris. I'm glad to be back. I'm Carol Nichols Orgolding. Um, I'm on different teams than I was last time. I'm currently only on the core team, but I think last time I was only on the community team, and I've been on and off teams since then. Um, I'm also the co-author of the Rust Programming Language book, which is now available in print. I was just getting started (laughs) with that last time we talked. It's true. And we will talk about our latest project in a minute. Yeah, and uh, great to be here, Chris. Uh, So I'm Jake Goulding uh, on the internet, Shepmaster. Most people probably might know me from seeing my Kirby avatar on Stack Overflow. (laughs) Correct, where you are all the Rust answers. I enjoy answering and editing. Uh, So yeah, you you know, a little little bit of uh, activity there. Behind the scenes, I also maintain the Rust playground, um, which hopefully more people actually use, but my picture is not there, so it's not as obvious that I'm involved with that. I'm on the uh, infrastructure team, which is kind of one of the, again, behind the scenes teams for mostly for the playground work, but also helping make sure that uh, commits get reviewed and things happen, The some of the grunt work on the Rust side. Very good. Well, it's good to have you guys on. And there's a lot of ground to cover. I'll start with Carol's just mentioned achievement. When last Carol was on the show, she had just started collaborating with Steve Klabnik on the print edition of the Rust programming language, which No Starch published this summer, I want to say, August or so. Correct. So that that was a long process for you. It was indeed. Can you talk a little about the length of that process. And then maybe also, I haven't put out my news episode yet for Rust 2018, because there's a lot to cover, it turns out. 
I imagine there are some changes in Bound for the Book, and I'm curious to hear what the mechanics of that will look like for the, the print edition. Sure. There was a lot more editing involved than I thought, and I learned about indexing the book. Uh, that was another thing that I had no idea what to do before, mm. and now... No, I'm all like checking out other books' indexes to see how they did it because there are multiple <laughs> ways to do it, it turns out. Yes. And yeah, it's been a a long and sometimes bumpy ride to get everything in tip-top shape to get printed. And it was very exciting to have it come out. And we actually went to Barnes & Noble the other day and I finally saw a copy on the shelf which is very exciting That's to awesome. just walk up to a bookstore and see my book on the shelf. Yeah, so for Rust 2018, um, when No Starch runs out of copies of the current book, they're happy to make changes to the book for the next set that they print. So we are working on updates to some of the chapters to take advantage of the new idioms. So for example, the... Uh, modules chapter, chapter seven, it's actually a lot nicer because the module system got a lot nicer mm -hmm. to work with and it's much easier to explain. So that chapter I'm excited about because it's going to be so much better. We also document a little bit the edition itself, what that concept is. We're adding a little bit on tools because RLS, Clippy, and Rust format are now out of preview. We moved, we were moving the macro section from an appendix to be part of chapter 19. Oh, 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 compatibility. Okay. If you have an old copy of the book, don't throw it away because it's still all the code examples that compile in the uh, previous version of the book are going to continue compiling because of Rust stability guarantees. Which is a big deal. Yes. Yes. It's so your, your old book copies are not obsolete. Hang on to those. The new versions of the book are going to assume that you have edition 2018 in your Cargo Tamil and that you are using a version of Rust newer than 131. So other than that, everything should continue working in the future with the new version as well. Just be aware that if you and a friend are sitting side by side with your <laughs> copies of, of the Rust programming language, they might be slightly different, and that might be why. That's that's really interesting as an approach for the publisher. I'm glad that they're just going to keep printing it as you are able to make changes because uh, keeping up with that kind of printing thing is no joke. So I am glad No Starch is taking that on. So what would you say was the biggest challenge in going from the point where we were when we talked a few years ago where you – thought you were quite a long ways along in the process of writing the book, as I recall, to actually getting it out the door. You mentioned the index, you mentioned the editing process. What were some of the challenges that came up in, in doing that work? A lot of the challenges were we like, we thought we had a pretty good book, but then we like ended up rearranging big sections. I loved um, a few reviewers were very helpful on GitHub saying that some concepts didn't make sense. The order in which we introduced things didn't make sense. Some examples mm. weren't great. Making good examples is really, really, really hard. Really, really, really hard. It takes a long time. Yes. So all of that just kind of added up along the way. And yeah, just, you know, took longer than you 
think it's going to take. Yes. Everyone I've ever talked to who has written a book has said exactly the same. And of course, it's not like writing the book is the only thing you've been doing for the last two and a half years. So three years, however long it has been now. So (laughs) speaking of that, what are some of the other things you've been up to over the last two and a half, three years? Jake's looking at me like, like. He knows what I'm going to say, and I have, like, three choices. I'm things. looking at you because I'm interested to hear what you're going to okay. say. Which one will she choose? Yeah. Right? Okay. We're going to go with um, Jake and I are collaborating on a video series for Manning. Ooh. It's called Rust in Motion. It's in Manning's early access program right now. Unit 1 is fully available. Unit 2 is just starting to be available. There are two videos in Unit 2, and there's going to be... A uh, new one every two weeks uh, from here on out. We are almost done with unit three, and then we have a fourth unit. So let me go through the units real quick. Unit one is kind of a syntax and um, basic building blocks of Rust. Unit two is ownership and borrowing. Unit three is on error handling. And unit four is going to be all about lifetimes. So this series is different from the book. I would say you, you should not get one or the other. Of course, you should you should buy all of my products. <laughs> um, the video series is focusing most on what is the most different about Rust mm. from other programming languages. Mm-hmm. So that if you are feel like you are used to picking up new programming languages, what I've seen happen a lot is people... People feel like they're good at just, you know, kind of picking up new programming languages and mm-hmm. messing around with them and feeling pretty proficient. They try to do the same thing in Rust and they just kind of get a certain certain bit along and then run into the brick wall. Yes. And I feel like you see this a lot in Stack Overflow, Jake, where people get really frustrated because they're used to being able to pick up languages and, and then all of a sudden they're just kind of stuck because there there are these ideas that are just so different from other programming languages and unless you take the time to stop and really learn those ideas you're going to keep spinning your wheels you're not going to get over that that hump of of those different ideas and become productive in rust but some people don't want to sit down and read the whole book to right before they it's a a big book want to yeah it is a big book that was the other thing that was surprising it's hard to (laughs) it's hard to tell how long a book is going to be when you're working on online online The book is pretty hefty. I do recommend going through it and reading it and picking out different parts. But I also sympathize with wanting to um, play around with stuff and Mm -hmm. and try projects and do things along the way while you're learning the concepts. Yeah. So the idea behind the video series is to get you over that initial uh, stuck feeling, give you these concepts that are the most different and then you are more prepared to leverage what you already know from other languages and these new ideas and start playing around in Rust more. And of course, it's a, a different uh, learning medium. You know, Yes. There are people that really grade it. They just want to open up their editor. They just want to write some code. There's people that want to sit down with a book or read it online. And then there are people that like a video series. And I think that's something that's been really interesting to me about this whole process is like, I would not group myself into that category. I would not say that I'm someone who wants to sit down and watch a video series. So trying to think about what makes a video series good, I've had to watch a couple. We've had feedback from our editors at Manning, like, you know, try this, try that. And We're starting to get feedback on the forums. Yeah. There's a forum for each of the 
Ancient Manning's products. So if you're thinking about buying the video course, and if you do, please join us on the forums and we'd love to get some feedback from you. Yeah. So like having to, to you'll actually see our, our quality improve over video to video mm-hmm. as we, as we're learning how to better produce it and how to better format. And it's almost like what Carol was talking about with the book where over time it was improved. But in this case, you get to see each of those steps as we get slightly better and better video to video. That makes a ton of sense. Carol, you mentioned before we, I think before we started recording that you'd gone back and listened to the last time we talked in an interview and every once in a while I go back and I listen to some piece or part of an earlier episode to see how I covered something. And wow, I'm still really pleased with what I put out three years ago, but the difference between what I was able to do then and what I'm able to do now in all the categories from audio editing to just how I present material it's very different. And as anyone who's ever done audio and then tried to do video knows, video is hard. It's very hard. So props to you guys for picking it up and doing it. I appreciate it. It's something I've been calling for in the Rust community for a long time. So I'm really happy that some is starting to exist. Thank you. We're, we're glad to be able to provide this service. Yeah. I think one of the, the hardest things for me, and hopefully, hopefully you're not familiar with this, is... Uh, doing the editing for that, I have to listen to my own voice. And it's the worst thing in the world because I have to listen to my own voice over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, yes, I don't want anyone else to ever hear this. So getting over that and like, disassoci- like oh, that's somebody else talking. I'm just going to pretend <laughs> that's somebody else talking so I can actually listen to this has worked out pretty well. I understand that. It took me a long time to get comfortable with the sound of my own recorded voice. So I sympathize. Yeah. But yeah, this whole process reminds me about of how I feel looking at old code that I've written mm-hmm. that I'm sure listeners uh, can sympathize with this. That and, and I try to remember that that means that I'm growing and learning things if I look at my old code and go, oh, no, what was I thinking? Yes. So, yeah, it's a good thing. So, Jake, you've been maintaining the playground for how long now? I So we actually had a, a point in time where there was two playgrounds. Mm-hmm. There's Andrew 32 playground. And I think that that has existed for almost two years now. And I believe that it became the official Rust Playground about a little over a year ago. I think that was when it was officially switched over. It's funny because it it all started out because I, again, I'm on Stack Overflow a lot of the time. One of the biggest things that I use the Playground for, it's very silly, but I'll take people's code and I will just reformat it to the Rust standard formatting. So that when, you know, people come into a question or an answer, they don't have to pick up that person's unique style to understand the answer. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, like the real playground at that point in time, the Rust format support was broken. And it was in this weird text setup. And I was just like, I don't understand any of that text setup. Obviously, the right thing to do is just rewrite it all from scratch, <laughs> you know, using technologies that I understand, just so I can basically run Rust format very easily um narrator this was not a good idea (laughs) i I mean i think in the end it ended up as a good idea for most people it may not have been the most efficient route to solving the problem but yeah i think i actually did the main re-implementation in like a week and then added the things that i wanted for a lifetime yes well that's how it works yes yes and uh you know it's it's fun because i feel like the playground itself is a fairly um it doesn't occur to people as a as a 
thing that needs work and support mm-hmm. very often, which I think is a good thing. I think that means that I have succeeded at it being a, you just expect it to be there. You expect it to work uh, thing. And basically the, the ongoing maintenance for it is really fairly small. You know, make sure that the packages are up to date, both for the actual implementation and for the crates themselves that are available. And then slowly over time, add some small features. Obviously with the uh, the addition coming stable, we wanted to have that. So the same day that the 131 release happened, we made sure that the default for the playground now switched to 2018. Had a and little, there's a nice little menu. A little menu switch. to switch between the, the additions. And there's always people that want some more features. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I, when something really jives with me, I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And I try to make some time for it. But if there's something I'm kind of like, uh, I don't necessarily see how this is going to benefit. I, I actually personally really feel like the playground is aimed at people new to Rust. That's actually my core audience. Um, I want to make sure that somebody who's never done Rust before can run some Rust very easily. Every other option on the playground is basically second class to making sure that those people have the ability to try rust and be like oh okay this is actually pretty easy i am still interested i want to go on to the next step i see the value there a ton both with rust and with typescript places where i could interactively try them on the internet were part of what made me actually jump in. In the case of Rust, I think it was the way that the playground integration worked with the Rust by example stuff that you could just run it right there in line in the book. And then likewise, the TypeScript playground, the fact that I could write it and see the compiled JavaScript output and say, yeah, okay, this makes sense. No, that's neat. It actually caught this thing that I think it should catch. Cool. So I, I see the huge value there. I do appreciate that you've Put in some other bells and whistles that are nice to haves along the way. I used in preparing for some of the episodes I did along the way with talking about features that were landing in the 2018 edition. I used the playground and I would flip over to the 2018 edition and say, okay, does this, this does what I think it does now, right? And the answer was yes. And I was very pleased or no. And then I had to go reread the edition guide again. <laughs> but I, I appreciated those things. So. Thank you for doing that. What does that tech stack look like? How does that actually work? Well, you actually named uh, two of them just now because TypeScript is actually what the front end is written in. Hmm. The back end is written in Rust. And that was actually another one of the big changes is when I originally started, at that point in time, the playground was written in Python. Hmm. And while there was two competing playgrounds, it actually switched to Rust as well or the old one switched to Rust, I should say. Uh, and then the backend, backend is uh, like the sandbox code running is Docker. Gotcha. So we do some things to try to maintain security and, and prevent the playground from just being a wild uh, DDoS <laughs> machine available. But um, there's a couple like known security holes that I need to fix because Docker is not actually meant necessarily as a sandboxing mechanism. But right. It's a, something with wide understandability. But yeah, like I, I love it when people submit pull requests or if it's slightly bigger, you know, open an issue and say, hey, would you, what do you think about something like this? But yes, yeah, so like TypeScript, um, Rust, and then a little bit of Docker. And you can kind of use, kind of going from the front end to the back end, you can kind of use those pieces without the further back end pieces a little bit. Mm. So if you're just interested in front end stuff, you can run the front end and make changes to that without necessarily running the Rust. And if you're interested in Rust, you can do that without necessarily running the Docker aspects. So 
hard to run the tests, but you can at least kind of play around. So if people are interested, absolutely, like it's on GitHub. Yeah, GitHub integer32 slash Rust Playground. It's linked to, I believe, from the help on the Playground as well. So I will make sure that gets linked in the show notes. And I might have to poke at it a little now because I'm curious. My my day job and my passion are talking to each other here in the form of TypeScript <laughs> and Rust. One of the one of the big things I really want is a little bit better integration there. Like there's, oh, here's a data object that flows from the back end to the front end. Mm-hmm. And I have to define that in two places. And I yep. really would like to be able to define it in one place. Haven't, haven't quite figured out a great way of doing that yet. So that would be a wonderful thing to figure out. Yeah. There is a tool that lets you take blobs of JSON and generate type definitions for them in Rust for Serde and in TypeScript and in tons of other things. It'll let you write Elm JSON decoders and stuff like that. So I'll shoot you a link to that and it'll be in the show notes. It's a super handy, almost magical thing because you just take some blob of JSON and boom, here's your Serde definition for what? And boom, here's your TypeScript (laughs) definition or your GraphQL schema definition. This is black magic and I I approve it. (laughs) But yeah, that's really interesting. So Integer32 has come up a number of times in this conversation. I think you guys had just started Integer32 back when Mm -hmm. Carol and I talked the last time around. So you were then, uh, I guess you're still the first Rust consultancy. Uh, I don't know. Are there other Rust consultancies out there yet? There are. Awesome. The main one that I'm aware of is uh, Ferris Systems. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're based in Europe, Berlin. Berlin. That's a uh, Florian. And um, I'm going to forget the one that Eddie B. Eddie B's company. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I think it has a real name we'll other than up. Eddie B's company. <laughs> well, I'll look it up and we'll make sure it's in the show notes, but right now it's in my show notes as Eddie B's company. Yeah. But yeah, so definitely the first. So that's really the, the important thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the name, Integer32, obviously in Rust, the default choice for a number is an I32. So you should be the default choice for a consultancy. Exactly. I see what you guys are up to there. It's clever. It's not too big. It's not an I64. And it's <laughs> yeah. not too small. Yeah. It's not an I8. It's just right. So how has that world been? I imagine it looks rather different now than it did two and a half, three years ago when all of this was just getting started. Yeah, um, we've actually been taking it kind of slow. I think we could be doing more work if we wanted to, um, which is great. That's a great thing for Rust on the whole. We've had some training gigs. We've had some prototypes. Uh, blockchain has been, is is and continues to be a, an interesting uh, field using Rust. We've done some direct mentoring, mm-hmm. kind of a little bit more concentrated than just training, some like code review type things where people are like, hey, we got a team, they're doing Rust, they're new to Rust, we really want somebody who knows what Rust, quote unquote, should look like. Mm-hmm. Take a look at this and tell us what's what. In, in many ways, I kind of think it's like, you know, if Rust is involved, we are potentially useful to you. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so... It probably isn't the best strategy for us for business. We should probably be picking one of these niches and making a market for ourselves. And but we're we're still we're still learning a lot. This 
this whole process of running a business is, takes a lot longer than you think it's going to. <laughs> and we, the reason we're taking it a little slow is that Jake and I welcomed a beautiful daughter to the world this past Aww. April. And uh, we're enjoying some time with her while she's little. So we're taking things kind of slow right now. That's a good plan. So yeah. often we forget that kids stop being kids. And I've thought about this often in the last few years. I have a six-year-old girl and a four-year-old girl. And they were babies not that long ago. And the rush to have our businesses succeed or to make our careers do what we want can be very pressing on us. So I I appreciate that you guys are saying, "Hmm, maybe taking it a little slower and enjoying our daughter while she's tiny is... That's good. Not that you need my approval, but I heartily approve. <laughs> we appreciate it. It is, it is, um, you know, different than the rest of my career so far. And we're very lucky to be in this situation mm-hmm. and be able to do this financially. Mm-hmm. And it, there, there is always that nagging thing. It's like, oh, I should be working right now. I shouldn't be watching her <laughs> play with her hands. I should be working. I'm falling behind. I'm... Are, you know, we're losing market share. We're we're not doing enough for the company. And, and then I go do something for the company. I'm like, oh, but she's being so cute. I should be <laughs> I should be spending time with her. Yes. So it's, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there know know what this is yeah. all like. The real trick is we have to figure out how to combine the two so that somehow by watching her play with her hands, we are growing market share. Well, <laughs> so, OK, here's here's my idea. For this, um, Rust for Babies, the board book. I mean, I I would probably buy a copy of that for exactly. Friends. You totally would. <laughs> we we can use Rust as a first time programming language for yeah, five year olds. Borrowing, borrowing. <laughs> these concepts are really important yeah. for five year olds. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know. I haven't really researched to see if there are any tech book publishers doing board books for children. <laughs> um, but if there are any out there, uh, shoot me a line. I've you should get ideas. in touch. Yeah. And to be clear, she definitely has multiple crab-related things, including an official Ferris plushie that she had hanging over that she plays with. So as it should be, we're making sure that she's ingrained from yes. the start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as it should be. I brought home some some Rust paraphernalia from RustConf, and my daughters thought it was very cool. Also, yeah. the new Rust Station stickers they thought were very cool. <laughs> I'm glad to still be in the phase where my daughters think my really nerdy obsessions are very cool, rather than Dad. Yeah. Ugh. Because I'm sure that day yeah. is coming. Or they'll just get really good at sarcasm and sound <laughs> the exact same. You'll never know. That's right. So speaking of conference paraphernalia, the other Rust conference I have been to was Rust Belt Rust in 2017, which is where I actually met both of you in person, which I had to be reminded of before the show began because... Carol and Jake reminded me that, no, I actually had met Jake before, and I felt terrible. But I'll call it a wash, because as listeners of the show will know, I recorded something like 17 micro-interviews there. So it's a bit of a blur. But Rust Belt Rust has had three successful years and is still going. I would love to hear your perspective on it. And also, I would love to hear, you know, if I were, say, interested in or wanted to poke one of my friends who were interested in starting a mountain rust or western rust or something like that, how how would that go? How do how have you made this conference thing work and how can other people make it work? 
Sure. Um, let's see which of those questions to answer first. Well, first of all, I, I wanted to say thank you for thank you for coming to Wrestle Russ last year, and thank you for doing all those interviews. That was a really neat thing, um, and your talk was great too. Thank you. It was a blast. So, but yeah, like uh, getting people to connect in person who only talk on the internet is um, one of my favorite parts of running a conference. So if if that's the kind of thing you like doing too, I would highly recommend running your own conference. And I, in general, I want to see more Rust conferences. We both did Ruby before Rust, and uh, a couple of years ago, there would be a Ruby conference somewhere every weekend. Like there are all sorts of little uh, regional Ruby conferences, and it was so neat. And they all had their own different personality, their own different style of event, and. I I miss having that in in the Rust community. I want to have the opportunity to go to different little events and see different speakers who can't always travel as far, yeah. meet different people who can't travel. So in in to help people uh, feel comfortable and confident uh, running a conference, we recently published on the Integer Thirty Two blog um, a roundup of our budget for this year's Rust Belt Rust. Uh, where the money came from, where we spent the money on on a high level, and like the choices that we made leading to how how much things cost. And we were slightly, slight, we made like $1,000. So we tried to run it pretty cost neutral. So if that's your goal as well, I want you to know it's totally doable. We do make some choices that make it more... Uh, it's a fairly small conference. Mm-hmm. It's um, not a whole lot of bells and whistles. It's mostly just about getting people in a room and talking to each other. So I think our budget reflects that. And you might make different choices that make your budget look different. But I want people to have have a frame of reference if you're because I know the money part is one of the most intimidating parts about um, running a conference. For those who haven't had a, a opportunity to actually come to Rust Belt Rust, just a little bit about how. The choices that we do make. So it's a two-day conference. The first day is uh, full of workshops. Um, there's one in the morning, one in the afternoon. You can pick what you'd like to go to. The second day is single track, 30-minute uh, talks with lots of breaks. Lots of breaks. Like that's yes. uh, all of all of Carol's conferences that she's done has has really had the focus on this talking to people and you know people in the community are just people. Uh, focusing on that hallway track. There's like a a big room where people are just talking when they don't necessarily want to go to a talk or go to a workshop, uh, really encouraging that community. One thing that Carol has always kind of fought for is there aren't necessarily rock stars in in programming. We you know we look and we're like, oh, that's Alex Crichton. Oh, that's David Tolney. He wrote Surday. And you're like, well, actually, no, they're just dudes. They're just people. Yeah. And yep. you know, it was actually I've seen this. I think at every year that I've done this is like somebody will be sitting next to someone who is quote unquote famous. Mm -hmm. And then they're just like, Oh, that's you. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that I was sitting here talking with you for, you know, the last hour. And it's always fun to kind of watch them be like, Oh, the author of clap is right over there. You could just ask him that question yourself. You're like, Oh, okay. That's very cool. Yes. I loved that when I was there. So it doesn't surprise me that that was intentional, but it's something that I appreciated because, yeah, you just walk up to somebody and then you realize that you're talking to Nico and you're like, oh, oh, I'm talking to Nico. Oh, man. And you get that kind of little kid glee, but it's just a guy. 
doing his yeah. thing. Yeah. And everybody there is just a person doing their thing. And that was really delightful. And like the one of the trade-offs that we make is, you know, we do not do a catered lunch. Instead, we encourage people to go out to the local community and go to a restaurant with a small group, like usually 10-ish, and, you know, have lunch with people. And again, that's focusing on the community aspect, but it's also a money-saving thing. Like, this is a place where we choose not to spend more money, but instead we're going to give that money to our speakers um, to get them to come from travel. Yeah. But that's a choice. And, you know, there are some people who would much rather have the... The big, I don't want to say fancy because it's you're, they're usually yeah. not, but you know, like the the corporate catered thing, right. like that's a that's a thing. Like I'm going to go to this thing and I'm going to get this lunch. And there are people who really like that, and people who don't care, and there's people who really like what we do. So there's so much room for all, you know, like that's just lunch. That's a decision you have to make for lunch. And there's so many right. decisions to give the flavor to you, whatever conference that you know anyone wants to run. You can make it exactly the way you want conferences to be. Having been to both RustConf and Rust Belt Rust, I really appreciate, really enjoy the fact that they're very different styles of yeah. conferences. Yeah. The way Leah Silber runs a conference versus the way you run a conference are very different. And they're both really good. And yeah. one of the things that's fun about that is you can, if you like one or the other, you can pick. But if you like both, you can just have both. It's great. And yeah. I've really enjoyed both, despite the fact that they're very different kinds of conferences mm-hmm. in a lot of those minutiae. I think if I were going to do a Mountain Rust, and dear listeners, please don't take this as a commitment for me to do Mountain Rust. Remember the <laughs> burnout there. episode. Remember the burnout episode. That's yeah. all I'm going to say about that. But if we were to do something like that in the West, and mostly I would be more like trying to find people to nudge into doing it, something of that smaller sort is probably the direction I would want to go just because it is, it's simpler and it has mm-hmm. a lot of these communal upsides. And having a bunch of the smaller, I don't want to say satellite conferences because that implies that RustConf is the one others circle around, but smaller regional, regional like conferences, yeah. I think allows RustConf and other very large conferences like that to be what they are yeah. and then lets the regional conferences have their own flavor and their own dynamics and all of those pieces. It's also a great way of having people that are more on the fence about Rust mm-hmm. uh, come to a conference. Like one of the workshops that we held, uh, I think, each year has been like kind of a, hey, if you don't know anything about Rust, go to this workshop and you're going to learn just enough to be able to, you know, hang for the next day like we want people who have no idea what they're doing with rust to come in i i think there have been people who have never programmed before have yeah. attended at least one because i spoke to her at rust belt T- rust ah. 2017 and she's like yeah i decided two days ago that i was going to try this as my first programming language because i've been thinking for the last few weeks that i was going to switch it's like mind blown <laughs> you just showed up and started programming by coming to rust belt rust Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, I love stuff like that. You know, and and for them, people like that, it's going to be a big decision to go somewhere right. for a big conference, but if it's oh, just drive an hour or if it happens to be in your city, just drive 10 minutes, like that's a great ability. It's it makes it a lot more accessible to people who might otherwise not go to such a conference. Right. So yeah, speaking of of location, so we did Pittsburgh, uh Columbus, Ohio, uh this year was Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. We don't have a city or a date yet for this year. We're currently surveying our options. Our list is probably Cleveland, Buffalo, Erie, uh, Dayton, Indianapolis. 
that's kind of we're kind of we get into checking the Wikipedia page for the Rust Belt to see. <laughs> Does this count as Rust Belt still? It's yeah. very very contentious. I think yeah, like yeah. I I'm too scared to look at like the edits and talk page for that <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> Things that are contentious. Religion, politics. Is this a Rust Belt city? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, if you really want to see a really good talk page, go to the duck typing page and look at the talk page for that. I dare you. It's great. By which I mean it's terrible. <laughs> but usually from this, this list of cities that Carol mentioned, if you happen to be listening to this and you happen to want to be our... Uh, yes, we definitely, I definitely want to have a local representative uh, to help pick out venues and to know things like how do you get from the airport to the hotel or right. whatever. So yeah, we do not have a local representative lined up for some of these cities. Um, so we would love to hear from you. And the most enthusiastic person might just get a rest conference <laughs> in their city next year. We'll see. And it's, you know... I think it's kind of a great way of if you are interested in throwing a conference, mm -hmm. this could be a great way of gaining some of that understanding about what it takes because you'll you'll be part of the organizers. And then the next year when it moves to a different city, if you actually want to just go ahead and throw your own conference again, you basically know what you're doing at that point. So true that may the regional conferences flourish. So uh, there's a new rust station discount code that I've just like left active every year. And there are people who use it. That's awesome. Year. <laughs> so I don't know if people are like listening to old episodes and figuring out or if people used it before and they're like, let me try this again. <laughs> and, but, so could be in yeah, their autocomplete. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, if you go to a future Rust Belt Rust, there may or may not be a discount code, <laughs> new Rust station, all one word that might give you a discount. You should try it. No, did. So beyond the various things we've talked about, including conferences here at the end, is there anything else you guys want to cover in the Rust developments, community, et cetera, space? Or No, I think that's yeah, it. Think that's we covered a lot of stuff. Wanted to talk about, yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys again so much for being on. Listeners, go check out the Manning Rust in Motion Early Access Program and hop on the forums and say hi to Jake and Carol and tell them everything that they can. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. You can give gentle suggestions if you have them, but be kind as someone who does this a lot, please be kind and go check it out and learn and maybe share them with some friends who are interested in rust and might be wanting to get going. Thank you guys again so much for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing my conversation with Carol and Jake as much as I enjoyed having it. I'll be back with the Rust 1.31 and 2018 edition episodes. And yes, I said episodes, plural, in early January. Thanks to everyone who sponsors the show. This month's $10 or more sponsors included Alexander Payne, Matt Rudder, Joseph Marhi, Rob Chuk, Ryan Osiel, James Higgins II, Brian Stitt, Dan Abrams, Brian McAllister, Andrew Dirksen, Graham Willadall, Stefan Lowensunda, Nick Gidio, Rafe Levine, Daniel Mason, Benham Esfabode, Nick Stevens, Chris Palmer, Paul Naranja, Michael McDonnell, Nathan Scully, Peter Tillemans, John Rudnick, Chip, Daniel Cullen, Nicholas Boucher, Jonathan Knapp, Ramon Buckland, Jerome Froelich, Beorn, Scott Moeller, Adam Green, Embark Studios, Luce Shonaya, Martin Hughshober, Johan Anderson, Jacob Denar, and Anthony Deschamps.
If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can set up ongoing support at patreon.com slash neurostation, or you can send me support just once via a number of other services listed at neurostation.com. There, you can also find scripts and code samples for many teaching episodes, as well as transcripts for many interviews, and there are full show notes for every episode. Notes for this episode are at neurostation.com slash show underscore notes slash interviews slash integer 32. If you're enjoying the show, please tell others about it, whether that's in person, at a meetup, in social media, or even just by rating and reviewing it or sharing it in your podcast directory of choice. I really appreciate it. The show's on Twitter at NeuroStation, and I'm there at Chris Kreitcho. Do send me news, and I will include that in upcoming news episodes. I also try to follow the threads for the episodes on the Rust user forums, Reddit, Hacker News, Lobsters, and of course, I love getting email. So... Thanks for sending me emails, everyone who does. Until next time, happy coding. Let's talk about namespacing on no. Chris. No. Oh, please, no. <laughs>